1837, a retired school teacher named Roland Hill wrote an essay which shook the world of moving information from place to place, an essay which is perhaps even more relevant today than it was when he wrote it. To talk about this retired school teacher and about moving information around from place to place, Peter Rukavina joins me now in another in the series Consumed by Technology. Hi. Good morning. So what exactly was in this essay that shook up the world? Well, in 1837, Roland Hill was living in England. He had retired from a career as a school teacher and an administrator. He was quite an eclectic man, people say. He was known for his somewhat innovative teaching methods. He was interested in printing and astronomy, mathematics, transportation. And in that year, 1837, he produced a pamphlet called Post Office Reform, Its Importance and Practicability. Now, quite simply, the theories he forwarded in this pamphlet revolutionized the postal system, not only in England but around the world, and not only in 1837 but in ways which live on today. You see, up until that time, the cost of sending a letter was based on a rather complex set of factors like the distance the letter was to travel and the number of sheets of paper you sent and so on. In fact, the cost was usually charged to the person receiving the letter, not to the person sending it. And this all resulted in the need for something of an overwhelming postal bureaucracy. Not only did the people delivering the mail have to charge for every letter they delivered, but they had to charge a different amount for each one, and that amount had to be figured out. The system required a large number of people. It cost so much it was hard for common people to use, and it was just generally inefficient. And then Roland Hill came along. He had three relatively simple suggestions. Firstly, postal rates should be lower, just generally. Secondly, the cost of a letter should be the same, regardless of the distance. And thirdly, the cost should be paid by the sender, not by the recipient. Were these revolutionary ideas at the time? At the time, they were quite revolutionary. Now, although Hill faced some political challenges getting his ideas across, in the end, nothing could stop the common sense he espoused. And by 1840, uniform postal rates and postage stamps purchased by the sender were in place across England. Within 25 years, his ideas had spread around the world. What we end up with 150 years later in Canada is a system where you can send a standard letter to any of 12 million addresses for just 45 cents. So Roland Hill is the one we can thank for giving the world cheap universal postal rates. Exactly. And not only that, but his ideas changed the model for the way that information was moved from place to place. And now that we live in an information economy where we're moving around more and more information, and less and less tractors and sheet metal and rolls of carpet, how we pay to send and receive information becomes only more important. Uh, imagine, if you will, a world where it costs $73 to send a letter to Toronto. Uh, or what if international telephone calls were free? Or if we had to pay for Island Morning by the minute? What if it cost just $5 to run a TV commercial during Compass? It would be a different world. Uh, in a world where money is so important to us, how we pay to move information dramatically affects how we deal with that information. Uh, generally, it seems, the cheaper it is, the more we use it. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to that sort of all-you-can-eat way we pay for postal service, you, know, you pay one fee and you can stuff as much information as you like in an envelope, there are generally three factors used to charge for moving information from place to place. How much, how far, and how long. Which of these is in place for a particular information-moving device uh, tends to determine how we use that device in our everyday lives. Well, maybe you could explain this further by using the telephone service. Well, telephone service is an interesting case. The way we pay for it changes depending on where we're calling. Local calls are all you can eat. Long distance calls are charged using a combination of time and distance, not unlike postal service before 1837. Mm -hmm. Now, think of the difference in the way that we make local phone calls versus the way we make long distance calls. In any given day, I might make 20 or 30 local phone calls. 
Because I don't have to pay for each one, I don't even think about picking up the phone at the drop of a hat to make a local call. Long distance calls, however, are a different matter entirely. Because I have to pay for each one, even thinking about making a long distance call is a very different kind of thing but thinking about making a local call. Say nothing in the experience of actually making a long distance call with the clock silently ticking in the background all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems a little silly to be uh, describing all of this in such intimate detail. It seems like such a natural part of our lives that we just take it for granted that to call across the street is free and to call Halifax costs us money. But sometimes it's useful to sort of step back for a minute and realize that all of these distinctions are one we, ones we've allowed to be put in place. Take these arbitrary distinctions as to where is near and where is far, and if you multiply them out over uh, millions of phone calls, over millions of, of, of people over years and years and years, you're talking about a pretty major issue. And it's an issue which not only affects the size of our phone bills at the end of the month, but it can determine how communities relate to each other. Now, a good example of this, take North and South Granville here on the island, two communities close to Hunter River. Mm -hmm. South Granville is in the Hunter River 964 telephone exchange. North Granville is just over the hill, really, but it's in the New London 886 exchange. Now, I've been told that the natural inclination of people in the South Granville exchange is towards Hunter River and Charlottetown, both of which are local calls whereas the natural inclination of people in the North Granville Exchange is towards Kensington and Summerside. Again, local calls for them. Now, as a result, the natural inclination of people in North and South Granville is not towards each other. Now, that seems like such a simple and sort of insignificant thing on one level, but when you start to think of all the friendships and the marriages and the business arrangements that have been subtly affected by this over the years, it looms pretty large in the, in the grander scheme of things, especially for those people's lives. Again, it's really all about how we charge for moving information from place to place. And in terms of moving all of this information around, how does the Internet fit into this? Well, although the Internet has been around in one form or another for 20 or 25 years, it's only in the last couple that people like you and I have started to use it. So how we actually pay for using it, what information moving model will apply, it's only sort of being figured out as we speak. By far the dominant model right now is something which shares something in common with long-distance phone service and something in common with the revolutionary postal system of Roland Hill. In most cases, when you sign up for an Internet account, you pay a certain fixed monthly fee, which allows you to spend a certain number of hours connected to the Internet in that month, uh, let's say $30 for 30 hours, for example. Now, any time you spend online over that fixed monthly amount, you're billed by the hour. So the clock is always ticking. Well, exactly. And as you might imagine, that affects the way that people use their time online. The Internet is often compared to the public library. They're both places where lots of information is stored and organized. Uh, think of the feeling you get walking around a public library. You might wander over to the magazine section and read the latest issue of The New Yorker, uh, browse around the Irish travel book section perhaps, uh, maybe try and find the latest John Grisham novel. Because using public libraries is free, because you can take as much time as you want to find what you need, there's a certain kind of freedom that libraries bring to gathering information. On the build-by-the-hour Internet, however, that freedom is gone. Although you can wander around the Internet in much the same way as you can wander around a library, and although you're not paying for the actual information you're browsing, there's always that feeling that the clock is ticking. It's not unlike making a long-distance telephone call. Now, one of the reasons I know this is true is because I've experienced another way of using the Internet, and that's a, a model which is gradually becoming more common, and that's paying a fixed monthly fee for unlimited Internet use. Now, this is a model very similar to the way we pay for cable TV, in a sense, all you can eat. Now, without that invisible clock ticking in the background, 
surfing Meta, I can tell you, is an entirely different experience, an entirely more pleasurable experience. Mm -hmm. So do you expect that this all-you-can-eat approach is the way of the future, that more people will opt for this? Well, it's certainly preferable from the consumer's point of view, but it also makes it hard for someone in the Internet business to make any money at it. The third possible model for paying for the Internet, and, and the one which perhaps makes the most amount of sense for someone in the Internet business, maybe the, the least amount of sense uh, for consumers, is the pay-by-the-byte model. This is similar to the way we pay for telegrams, or at least the way we used to, and that's by the word. In essence, we would pay for the actual amount of information we browsed on the Internet, no matter how long it took. Uh, if we looked up, let's say, two books in the Library of Congress online catalog, it might cost us five cents. If we looked up ten books, it might cost us 25 cents. Now, just to give you some idea of the relative size of pieces of information, the book Anne of Green Gables weighs in at just under half a million bytes. Now, when I'm talking about a byte here, I'm talking about one letter or space or character in the book. Do you mean to tell me, Peter, that somebody has actually counted all the bytes in Anne and everything else that's online? Well, we get computers to do that for us. It's a little bit easier than that. I think right. it'd be a little monotonous to sit down and count every letter, although I'm sure there are people who have done it. <laughs> Just for comparison's sake, the entire Canadian Constitution is about 100,000 bytes long. The American Declaration of Independence, uh, to contrast, is about 7,000 bytes long. I'm not sure what that <laughs> says about our, our two countries. Uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica uh, article on dandelions is just 508 bytes long. Now remember, in this pay-by-the-byte model, the clock isn't ticking, but the information meter is. It's more the bookstore way of doing things than the public library way of doing things. This pay-by-the-byte way of charging for Internet use, it, it really isn't very common yet for consumers, but it's increasingly becoming the common way that businesses pay for their Internet access. So the Internet will be pay-by-the-minute, or all-you-can-eat, or pay-by-the-byte, B-Y-T-E. B-Y-T-E, yes. Uh, in the end, it'll probably be some combination of those three. Uh, no matter what the final model is, however, it's going to have a dramatic effect on the role that the Internet plays in our lives. Now, just to introduce one final wrench in the works here, there's a lot of talk now about convergence, about telephone and television and radio and the Internet all sort of merging into one digital appliance. When you hear people talking about a set-top box, that's what they're talking about. Now, things start to get really weird when you start thinking about telephone service, the new digital appliance telephone service, being built not by the minute or by distance like we're used to, but by the amount of information that's communicated. Hello, Mother. I'm doing well. Might cost you a tenth of a cent. Hi, Mom. All okay. <laughs> might cost you <laughs> half as much. We could end up with a whole generation of people talking in a weird, abbreviated sort of code. And poor old Roland Hill will be rolling over in his grave. Well, exactly. Just remember, the next time you pick up the phone or you send a letter or you pick up the newspaper or you watch TV, you're helping to move information from place to place. And how you're paying for it probably has a lot more to do with how you're doing it than you realize. Thanks very much, Peter. Peter Rukavina operates Digital Island, and that's in Kingston, PEI.